0: Well, if you guys uh, have your Bibles, turn with me to Second Corinthians, which has already been read, so some of you may already be there. Page 1028 in the Blue Bibles, so if you have a Blue Bible. We're in this second part of this Religion is... Uh, religion is dead. <laughs> Going back. Second part of <laughs> Generosity is Dead series. <laughs> you guys like that one, don't you? Yes! Uh, second part of this uh, Radical Generosity series, and... Um, You know, I I don't know, if you guys weren't here last week, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast for this reason. I I tried to explain last week a little more in depth that uh, we're we're treading on thin ice when we talk about money in church. We just are. It's just the way it is. Because of abuse, these crazy ministries out there that are trying to get at your wallets, um... Because of the legalizers, people who are saying, because you don't give this much, then God's not happy with you. Um, But then at the same time, we believe in generosity to such a degree that we feel like we have to talk about it. We don't want the abusers and the legalizers to have the last word on the subject of generosity, uh, especially when it comes to money. And so we're kind of like carefully treading out into this ice. and and I hope that by uh, the end of this today and, and next week that uh, that we'll be able to say you know like I, I feel like I can be a more generous person and, and to do to do it in a joyful and very biblical way not out of not out of guilt. And so today what we're doing is specifically today we're zooming in on two aspects of generosity and uh, fairly controversial and debated aspects, which is tithing and then joyful giving. So that I'm calling it tithing, joyful giving, and other strange things. Because the reality is, is that these are kind of strange things. Like tithing is this idea of setting aside 10% and giving 10%. Um, which is just strange, you know? It's just, <laughs> you know, some people uh, uh, have, are like gung-ho, like tithe, 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 and other people are are like, you know, it's, it's legalistic. We're freed from the law, and so it's like, what, what is this? You know, where do we fall, and what does it mean for us today? And and then like this idea of joyful giving is that's just strange, you know. Like we say it's better to give than to receive, right? We say that, but we don't really believe that, do we? <laughs> I mean, come on, we really at like, Christmas time, you know, every year I would hear people say that and then uh then on the 25th it's just more joyful to get it really is um and then we certainly don't really we, we certainly don't model that that belief in our life often so this idea of joyful giving it's just strange weird so that's what we're doing today so with that said um Let's dive right in. We're going to pick up at verse 6, actually, of chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And uh, and by the way, while I'm thinking of it, um, Jess and I are getting away for the next two days, for like a little, three days, for like this little um, spiritual retreat. Like we've been needing to do this, and it's just, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be good for us. So anyways, don't call me over the next couple of days. <laughs> Um, just kidding. If you need to get a hold of me, leave me a message. But I won't be answering my phone. So just felt like I should say that, so you don't. You're not like, man, I called him Sunday night, he had not call me back. All right. I'm glad I got that out of the way. It's been pressing. <coughs> uh, chapter nine, verse six of Second Corinthians. Remember this, he says. Whoever sows sparingly, will will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, every, every generation likes to put its wisdom into these little maxims, if you would. Like, for instance, some of our maxims that we have today, our little nuggets of wisdom, would be, uh, look before you, leap. leap. Um, if everyone's jumping off of a bridge, would you? <laughs> leap. Um <laughs> <Leap. laughs> uh, this, this one's probably most applicable to this maxim here. What goes around comes around. Right. Most, most theologians' uh, commentaries that I've read for this verse right here believe that this was a modern maxim that um, Paul is drawing from and using. That was just part of their culture, something that they would regularly say. And it's, of course, it's a farming culture largely. And uh, so this idea of, hey, if you sow a lot of seed, you're going to get a lot of fruit going to reap a lot. If, if, if you sow a little bit of seed, you're going to get a little bit of fruit. And so, Paul uh, takes this maxim and he sticks it into this letter here, which was probably something very familiar to them, but it relates so well to this, this idea of generosity that Paul then takes the next eight verses, which we're going to see over the next two weeks. He takes the next eight verses to sort of unpack it and explain how this maxim works with generosity. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. So that's what we're diving into. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Um, now, uh, the first question that I think needs to be asked as we're diving into this, this sort of series, especially when we're uh, look, zooming in on like the, the, the nitty-gritty of generosity, is this. Well, two questions. One, how much should we give? And two, how should we give? All right. So that first question, how much? How much should we give? Uh, look at verse seven. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Each should give what he has decided to give. Each should give a tithe. Right. Oh, he didn't say that. Each should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Now, what does that mean? All right, I, I do think it's important to note, note that he doesn't actually use the word tithe. He doesn't say tithe right there. He doesn't say each man should give a tithe. Everybody should give 10%. Um, in and of itself, that doesn't mean much. You know, that, There could be a lot of reasons he doesn't say that. But it's still interesting to note. And I think as we look throughout the New Testament, so like the post-Jesus era of the scriptures, uh, it's hard to find much on the idea of tithe. It's mentioned a couple times. And so what's happened, especially within more recent years, probably the last 40 or 50 years, is we kind of have divisions that come with this. Like, some people over here that are like, you know, tithing is a command, it's a direct command, and if you don't tithe, then you're, um, really in in trouble, you know? Tithing, 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 it's a command. And other people over here are like, wait a second, we're freed from the law, tithing was part of the law, um... And if, you're not, if you don't even know what tithing is, we're going to get into that a little bit. I'm speaking a little over your head here. But tithing was part of the law. We're freed from the law. And so then that means that uh, that we don't have to tithe, all right? And so there's like this, these sort of debates. And it's actually gotten – I've seen this get heated. I've actually seen people leave church, like not just a local church, but the church as a whole, over this issue on both sides. Somebody is like, you know – I want to follow God and I want to honor him with my finances. And I believe God's commands us to, to tithe. And so, and I'm not seeing that here with this group of people. And so I'm leaving. And then other, on the other hand, it's like, man, the pastor told me that I should tithe. And I don't see that in the new Testament. And I'm leaving this church because of that. You know, it's like, it's create, it literally creates this issue has created division. So I figured, so we don't have divisions. Why don't we just bring it up? Right. And talk about it a little, a little bit. Is that cool? Alright, awesome. I'm glad you're on board with this. So, tithing. Let's, let's kind of... I want to give a, a little history and an overview on the topic of tithing. It was first... We first see the tithe in the Bible as a whole in, in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, Abram, in Genesis 14... Man... If you think the Bible is, like, boring, read this chapter later today. It's awesome. Abram pulls, like, this uh, William Wallace <laughs> militia move. <laughs> lot goes into captivity. So his nephew is taken captive. And and Abram, who's just, he's a farmer, you know, he's just an average dude. Farmer. Fairly wealthy farmer. But he's a farmer, and he's got a lot of people working for him and stuff. When when his nephew Lot goes into captivity, Abram, Gets all of his, his farm farming people together, 318 of them, and says, let's go against these five kings and defeat them and, and rescue ne- my nephew Lot and all of the spoils that that these kings stole from Lot's from Lot's city, which was Sodom, by the way. And so they go and it's like, you know, just picture William Wallace or The Patriot or any other Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Passion, we could keep <coughs> going here. But the only I'm not going to get it, never mind. I'm going to say the difference between the Passion, and the Patriot, and Braveheart, but well, the Passion, it was just one person that did the whole thing. With Braveheart, he had like this big group of people. With the Patriot, he had his, his sons, his family. And with the Passion, it was just the lead character, you know, which was Jesus, which was very uh, applicable. But anyways, it's, Mel Gibson's just funny. Anyways, <laughs> you got to love him, maybe, uh, maybe no you do because you have to love everybody you know right <laughs> so anyways wow so Abram I'm just just trying to talk about tithing here Abram like pulls this militia move and he he goes and he rescues lot his nephew and they take all of these spoils that were stolen and they bring him back and Abram like in this just amazing move just brings it all back you know and uh, he's greeted by this king called Melchizedek and Melchizedek comes and, and he evidently is a very godly, godly person, godly king, um, and he blesses Abram right there and says, you know, you, you're, you're amazing, Like God, God's hand is on you, and he just gives Abram this blessing, and, and then out of that generosity and out of that thankfulness, Abram then takes 10% of, of all the spoils that he, re, that he recovered, takes 10% of everything that he has, and he gives it to Melchizedek as a thank you. Isn't that interesting? All right, so that's the first time we see a tithe. The next time is two generations later with Abram's uh, grandson, Jacob. And Jacob has this really just powerful experience with God. He just encounters God in this extremely powerful way. And then God tells him, and I'll read it to you, it's, it's in Genesis chapter 28, verses 22 and 20, uh, 20 through 22. It says, Then Jacob made a vow. This is after this great experience, this encounter with God. Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so here, and it's interesting to note why, based on uh, simply a promise from God, that he's going to provide for him, he's going to be there for him and, and get him home safely. He's not going to let him starve. He said, out of that kind of thankfulness, he says, "Wow, oh, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you give me. I'm going to give it right back to you." All right. So that's the second place we see a tithe. Now, so at the beginning, then I mean, if we think about it, tithing then began not as a command. Not as a law, it began as an act of love, as an act of thankfulness, as an act of gratitude now in leviticus chapter twenty seven we see then that tithing became a law for the Jewish people, so it was the law of the land and where, where what it says in chapter twenty seven of uh, verses thirty through thirty two is that um, that everything, everything that you have, and by the way, it's a bartering society. They didn't have cash back then. They didn't have George Washington's. They had their stuff, you know, and so, so their currency was what they had, their stuff. And so everything that comes out of the ground, your fruit, your vegetables, all of your animals, your cows, your bulls, your, your sheep, your baba lambs, everything that you have, you're going to take 10% of that, and you're going to give that to God as an act of worship. This became a law for the Jewish people when they when, when the law was established. 600 and some laws. When the law as a whole was established, and, and God said, this is how I want you to live. Within that law, using really Jacob and Abram as a model here, part of the law was taking 10% of everything that you have, setting it aside, and giving it to God. And then and then the way that they used that was uh, in a number of ways. In, in Numbers, it talks about using it for the poor. It also talks about using it to support the Levites, who were the ministers. But essentially what they're doing is the 10% was to go uh, essentially to God's work. Just to the, to the work of God in their world at the time. Now... Like a lot of the laws, they tended to break them, right? I mean, when we look at the scriptures, they're, they're constantly, I mean, isn't that the point of the law is to show us how weak we actually are and, and they could never live up to it? And so uh, so for thousands of years, uh, this was an important deal, 10%. A tithe was a very important deal to them. To the degree that when they didn't live up to it, in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi tells the the people of Israel in, in with the voice of God it's as if God is speaking to them through Malachi that uh, he says that you're robbing me and they're like how are we robbing you and he says when you when you hold back your tenth your tithe you're robbing me and it's like wow that's that's a pretty big charge it's like I mean I wouldn't want to rob any of you guys Um and then if God were to come to me and say, hey, by the way, you're robbing me, I'm like, whoa, you know, seriously? But, so the, but this is how important the, the tithe was to, their, to them and to their, the way that they related to God and to their worship, to the degree that if they held it back, it was as if they were robbing God. Um, and it's, again, and, man, this is a big point that I'm just going to throw in right here, but it's not even that God needs their, their the, the tenth, but God needed their heart. You know, and so when they were quote unquote robbing God of this, what they were doing was they were holding a piece of their heart back from God, you know, which is a really important aspect of this. So that's kind of like a quick overview of tithing in the Old Testament for the Jewish people as, when when God was relating not to all of humanity, but God was relating to a nation, the nation of Israel. This is sort of an overview of tithing. Then the question becomes: okay, so now Jesus comes, God enters the world, becomes flesh, dwells among us. Jesus comes, uh, the he, he fulfills the law, he establishes a new covenant of grace, and then sends people out to, to <laughs> take this good news to the ends of the earth. It becomes, you know, it opens up. This good news of God opens up not just to the people of Israel, but to the whole entire world. And then the question is, now what does it look like for the church? So that's what it looked like for, for the people of Israel. Now what does it look like for those of us, I guess you could say, on this side of Jesus as, as the church? It's like this global, worldwide uh, community of people who are following God. And to answer that, what I want to do is turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's just back a couple pages. This is the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We're looking at the second letter right now. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, the New Testament because it is like this. Unbelievably amazing argument for the resurrection. It's just phenomenal. Talks about eyewitnesses. It's just—it's just a really good argument. And he's—he's he's di- Paul is diving into like this—this this talk of the resurrection that, that Christ has come, and he's died for us. Yes, but he's resurrected, and he's talking about why that's important. He says, you know, if Christ wasn't resurrected. From the dead and none of this would matter like nothing would matter if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead it's all like everything hinges on that moment of the resurrection and and Paul's just like this is this is how we know and these are the people that have witnessed the risen Christ and you can go talk to them it's just as great discourse on the resurrection so let's pick it up in the last couple verses in verse 56 of chapter 15 he says there the, the sting of death is sin And the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give thanks fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so it's like this. You know, ah, the resurrection. He's risen from the dead. You know, he died and... Everybody thought it was over and then three days later he burst forth from the grave and over 500 people hung out with him after his resurrection. So therefore he's like, stand firm, you know, like this is all that matters in life. Just, just give everything you have to, have to Christ. And then he says in chapter 16, and remember in the, when this was written there weren't chapter divisions, so this is still the same thought here. In chapter 16 he says now about the collection for God's people. So it's like this, ah, the resurrection, Christ is alive, like the whole world has been changed. Everything, I mean, the, the entire history is just completely swung around on this one historical event, and, it, and it's real, and it's happened. Now, about the offering we're about to take. About the offering. And, and so, so then he goes on. In, in verse 2, he says, um, this is about this collection that we're, uh, about to take for God's people. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Everybody should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, here's here's what I want to ask. First of all, let me ask two questions. Um, these these people are... are Jewish, largely Jewish Christians that he's writing to. As he's addressing them, and he's talking about the resurrection, and this great event, this great moment, he says, set aside a sum. What What sum of money are these people used to setting aside? 10% Right. Because they've, they've come from the Jewish understanding of, of God and following the law, and so they're they're used to setting aside 10%. Now, the next question I want to ask is this. What is the difference? It's hard to even ask this question. But how, how do we relate differently to God now, this side of Jesus, than those before Christ came in the Old Testament? In other words, how are, do these Corinthian believers, what is the spiritual difference in their lives as opposed to those before Christ? Any thoughts on that? Christ! <laughs> Christ. <laughs> uh, I think Paul just gave away the secret answer. <laughs> Jesus. It's like the easiest answer out there, and that's the answer. I mean, Jesus It's the difference. So, so before Christ, for all of these years, as these uh, as the Israelites are setting aside a tenth, they're setting aside. This, this sum of money that's directly commanded to them, what they're doing that is, uh, while they're doing that, they're, they're looking towards a Messiah. So they're actually going on a promise of a Messiah. The Messiah hasn't come yet. They're going, they don't even know how it's going to happen. But they're going on this belief that in some way, God is going to send somebody to redeem them and the entire world. And they don't even know how it's going to happen. And they had Isaiah, and they had some different prophets that are saying some different things. And they're trying—they're reading the prophets and they're trying to understand, like, how is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is the Messiah going to, have, going to come? But at this point, the, the Messiah hadn't yet come. They're just simply going on a promise. And then, even going back further to Jacob, he was simply going on uh, on a promise for food and for for provision, much less redemption. And so now, like the Corinthian people, on the the other side of Jesus, the post-Jesus people, what they're going on now is not a promise looking forward to the Messiah, but they're actually living now in the redeemed world. In the world which has been redeemed by Christ, or maybe I should say the redeeming world. It's the world in which God, all the questions were answered. You know, how, who was the Messiah? When's he going to come? How is he going to redeem us? It was all answered. They saw it happen before their own eyes. God came into the flesh and he lived among us. He dwelt among us. And, and he went to the cross and he died for our transgressions and he died for our iniquities. And then when they thought it was all over, he burst from, from the ground and like, the resurrection! This amazing event with, in which everything hinges on. These are people who have seen the redemption of God take place. They've some of them have, could have very well been eyewitnesses to it. And so now, I want to ask this question, and this is why I think all of these debates on like tithing and stuff like that are almost silly, all right? And tell me if I'm wrong, all right? But here's, here's, here's my thesis, all right? In this, in this world now, where Christ has come, and he's died for us, and he's risen again, and Paul is addressing the Corinthian believers, who, by the way, are, were used to, before Christ, giving 10%. Now that we have, are living with Christ, we have his very spirit with us. And not only that, but we've been sent out on the greatest commission ever, which is to, to take the good news to the ends of the world. Take the good news everywhere, by Christ himself. The Jewish people had never had a commission like that until Christ came along. There was never a commission to take this message to the ends of the earth. But now these people are living with the the Messiah who's come and redeemed them and he's given them this great commission to to use everything that they have to take take it to the ends of the earth. Here's the question that I would like to ask. Would Paul, as he's addressing them, saying set aside a sum in keeping with your income, have in mind any less than 10%? I mean, would that just make any sense? And feel free to, you might disagree, and that's fine. But this is just my own thought. It's like, would Paul, I mean, I'm just trying to understand this. Like, before Christ, they were setting aside a fairly generous amount of 10% for the work of God. And now that we have have Christ and we have the Great Commission, would he be calling us to set aside any less? Yeah. Yeah, that's my mom, by the way. Good answer. I told her to say that. (laughs) Um, Exactly. When we, when we, when you look at the uh, the New Testament, from from Jesus to Paul, different writings, whenever they're referring to Old Testament understandings to to the law, for instance, almost always what you see is this: how much more argument. So you've heard it said this now because of Christ, how much more? You've heard this, but now because of Christ, how much more should we be doing this, you know? How much more? (coughs) I first personally kind of came into this understanding, if you would, when I was in college. And I had a professor who... uh, was was talking one time, and he and he said, he said uh, some years ago, I realized like just how free we were from the law. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow, we're free from the law. Like I never really thought of that. Like we're freed from the law. And then he said, and we're freed from tithe, the tithes. And I'm like, Whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> because I, you know, I'm like going through college. I've got I'm I'm working a part time job to come up with my cash to. To, uh, to pay for college and I didn't want to be giving I didn't want to give 10% you know I was at the time and I didn't want to because. but I did, was doing it because I was under the law you know you just, as a good Christian you're supposed to give a tithe you know <sighs> gotta pay my dues and and he said this and I was like wow that I'm so glad that we're freed from the law because now I can give the .05% that I was really wanting to give as a cheerful giver you know and then he blew me away, and I was so upset. He blew me away because he said, and so when I realized that, what I realized was that I was freed to give like never before. I'm like, wait a second, stop right there. I liked it like before that part, you know? And he said, so since we, we realized that my wife and I decided to start increasing from 10%, we started to increase our giving 1% every year. And now we're up to 18 or 19%. And I'm just like, what? That's not what I had in mind, you know? And so now it like, some years later, he'd be if, if that continued, it would be he'd be around twenty seven percent or so, something like that. Which was just strange, like you know. And, the, and my problem was I could give 005 percent pretty joyfully. I could do that with cheer, it would make me you know, dollar a day keeps the blues away, you know, like make me feel good about myself. I just made that maxim up. You see, that's a modern maxim that we're gonna now like send. It'd be awesome. And uh, But that, that was the problem was like, okay, so now what do I do? Because I'm not giving joyfully. So I'm giving, my, I'm giving 10%, but I'm certainly not doing it like this guy is. I'm not doing it like he loves <coughs> giving. And I don't, I don't know why that is. You know, for me, I'm doing it because I feel like that's going to make God happy. And now that I know that God's happy with me, period, what is my motivation to give was my problem. So you know what I did, like, for a little while was, I, my, my thought process was this. Okay, so um, I can't give give cheerfully, so I am not going to give at all, right? Isn't that something we, an argument we use in our minds all the time? Go back, go back to 2 Corinthians with me. He says, in verse 7, he says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So you should set aside this sum, so you should be intentional about it. And, and here's the reality. Is one thing we do see commanded in the scriptures is to be intentional about a sum. And like we kind of live in a culture today where we don't really want to be too intentional. It's just kind of like, eh, if I feel like it, you know, I want to just be able to do what I feel like at the time. But one thing we do see modeled all through the scriptures is to be intentional about what you're doing how you're giving, not just with money, but with everything. Anyways, so so each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And then he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and that's my problem. That, like, that, that was my problem. It's like, okay, so now I'm kind of called to this really high standing, but but also it says not reluctantly? Not you know, as a cheerful giver? That doesn't make any sense. You know, how can I how can I do this joyfully? Because right now I feel like if I give uh, the way this guy's giving, then I'm not going to be able to pay for school or whatever it might be, or I might not be able to hang out with my friends, or you know, what am I going to have to give up? Like this is not going to be a cheerful, joyful sort of thing. Like, and it, so in my mind, I was thinking, all right, well, I can't give cheerfully now, so I'm not going to give it all. So what I'll do is I'll wait until I have extra money. And then I can give it cheerfully. The problem is, in my life so far, I have yet to have extra money, <laughs> and I'm almost 30 years old, and I still don't have any extra money. And uh, so it's an issue. Now, this is one thing that I want to try this morning to try to make a point. All right, are you with me on this? Everybody say yes. yes. You got to be with me on this. All right, everybody, hold up your money, your money bag, your wallet, your checkbook, your your dollar. If you have anything, if you don't have anything on you, just pull the lint out of your pocket and pretend that it's something. You know. All right, everybody, everybody, holding it up. All right. Now, what I want you to do is, I want you to give it to the person next to you, and try try not to let it be your spouse. Give it to the person next to you. All right. Come on, we got it. We got. It. Hey, you said you were with me on this. You said you were with me. Don't. Let... Don't lie to me. Be careful with that, Leo. We share a checking account, so. I've got to give mine to somebody. Who doesn't have a... Yeah. <laughs> That's a big wallet. It it has got a lot of money in it. <laughs> All
1: right, now what I
0: want you to do... We're gonna take an offering, and I want you to give like you've always wanted to give. <laughs> all right? Are you ready? Yeah. We're going to... no, I'm just kidding. Give me the money back. All right, you can give 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 the money back. Come on. So, why is it that all of a sudden, when we're holding somebody else's money and we can give like we've always wanted to give, we get yeah. joyful all of a sudden, right? Like, man, I've always wanted to have this kind of generosity. I've always wanted to give. And now I'm holding $100 in my hand or I'm holding a, somebody's credit card or I don't even, you know, I'm holding a checkbook and I could write any, you know, because I'm sure all of you have limitless checking accounts, right? And uh, why is it joyful when we're holding somebody else's money to give? Why is that a joyful thing? It's because it's not ours. We can do it. We can, we can, we can give it away. But it's not ours, so we can help somebody with it. But we're not really giving of ourselves because it's not ours in the first place. All right. When when Jess and I first got married, we were living in this little apartment above a barn. It was just this tiny little apartment. We called it the barn because we were in a barn, and uh, it was we loved it. But anyway, it was just really small and very simple. And uh, so we were kind of doing our thing, like building our little nest, you know, newly married. Um, and then one of our friends who was older than us, they were more established, they had a large house. And they said to us, hey, would you want to come and house sit for us for a couple of days? And we were like, ah, you know, like, it's <laughs> awesome, yes, you know. And so, so we like pack our bags and we go over and all of a sudden we're living like this. The Joneses, you know? <laughs> and um, they were the Kirby's, though. But So we're living like the Kirby's. And so we're living in their house. And you know what my first reaction was when I got into this house? I'm looking around, and we've got, like, two living rooms now, a big kitchen, a couple extra bedrooms. And my first reaction was, like, man, like, who can we have over? <laughs> like, we need to have a party. We need to have people over here all the time. You know, because it's too much for us just to have on our own, you know? Like, we've got to share this with somebody. This isn't, you know, it would be more joyful for us to share it with our friends, who also live in little apartments above barns like we do, and, and, and to have them come over and we could, like, cook them a nice dinner in our kitchen and we could just hang out with people all the time. Now, we didn't because I didn't want to destroy the place, but I really wanted to. Why? Because it wasn't mine. Because it was somebody else's. But for some reason, as soon as something becomes mine, we don't have that kind of of thought process. All of a sudden, we start to think, wait, this is my living room, and I don't know if I want to share it with anybody else. This is my kitchen, and I don't know if I want anybody else to dirty up my stove. This uh, uh, This is my extra bedroom. I don't know if I want to give that up. This is my bathroom, and I don't know if I want anybody else to use it, you know? I mean, toilet paper is expensive, I, I know. <laughs> or we do that with our time. This is my time. And I don't know if I want to share my time with other people, you know. All of our resources. It's mine. As soon as something becomes mine, it's, it changes the game. And we start to get kind of like weird about it. And especially when it comes to money. Especially when it comes to money. More than anything, it's mine. I worked for it. I earned it. I, 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 it's limited. I don't have much. There's things that I want. It's mine. So what do we do with that? I mean, and that's it, it's a problem, right? A girl named Audra, she's 27 years old. She's actually a widowed mother at 27. Uh, she wrote this really cool uh, little letter saying as to why she thinks, she was specifically talking about the younger generation versus the older generation, and why it is that the younger generation, uh, they, why they don't give like the older generation. And so this is what she says is the main reason, in her opinion, as a young widowed mother, 27 years old. She says the, the main reason being that older generations have gone through, on average... More, many more trials than younger generations, and hopefully have come under the other side of them uh, with an increased amount of faith, trust, and dependence on God. This is what creates the increase in their giving. They have learned time and time again that God gives it all away, or I'm sorry, God gives it all, and it all belongs to Him. God gives and takes away. So there's no need to try to keep it anyway. If this is true, then it must be true that when we have a growing growing relationship with Christ, our giving will only increase as time goes on, regardless of our income increases or decreases. And so what she's saying is this. In her opinion, again, she's, she's talking more so along the lines of like comparing the younger generation who doesn't give much with the older generation who were fairly generous. Um, the reason being uh, that, that the older generation were taught, and not only just taught intellectually, but they experienced that what they have is not theirs. They've experienced that, that God supplies their needs, that God gives, and that God takes away. It doesn't matter how much they work. doesn't matter how many degrees they have. None of that matters. What they've realized is that they have complete reliance on God. God is their supplier. Look at the next couple verses in in chapter 9, verse verse 8. And God is able to make uh, all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Who supplies the seed? So when Paul's even saying at the beginning, this maxim, uh, those who sow seed generously reap well. Those who sow seed poorly, reap poorly. Who supplies the seed? Who supplies the bread for food? It's God. It's never been us. It's never been us. Who owns it? Who owns your stuff? Who owns your house? Who owns your car? Who owns your money? Did you think you did? Because it can be gone like this. God can take it away like this. And I think I think what Audra is trying to get at here is that so many of us who are younger we haven't experienced that yet. We still believe that we still believe it's us. We still believe that we're at the center. We still believe that we're the ones calling the shots and pulling the strings. But what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians is that you are not at the center. You are not pulling the strings. You are not calling the shots. And that God is. Supplying all of your needs. So, look at verse 11, the next verse here. He says this, You will be made rich in every way. You will be made rich in every way. Now, don't you believe that if, going back to my example when I was in college, and I'm struggling financially, but I'm still wanting to give in a a certain sum, did I not believe that if I'm giving generously to the work of God, that God would provide for my needs? Did I not believe that? And how silly is that when we think of the big picture? I mean, if we really are going to believe biblically, if we're really going to believe the biblical narrative, we're going to really believe that this creator who who created everything, he owns everything, loves us intensely. That if we give to to, to bring glory to him, do we not believe that he's not going to take care of us? And the word that Paul even uses here is to make us rich. Now, what the prosperity gospel folks don't read is the next line. God is able to make grace of unto you. Wait, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 11. You will be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. See, giving... Only to get isn't generosity at all. It's not giving. But giving, recognizing that even if we're giving extremely sacrificially, and we're trusting God with our finances, giving, recognizing that God will not only provide for us, but he very well may bless us and give us in abundance. Only so we can continue to give only so we may continue to be generous. That's radical generosity. You see what I'm saying? So it's not giving. I mean, it, it is true that the Bible teaches us that when we give, God will give us, give it back to us. You can't get around that in the Bible. But you also can't get around the fact that in the Bible, that when you give, God gives back so you can keep giving. And then he gives back so you can keep giving. He gives to generous people. So you can keep giving, not so you can now go get what you wanted. You know, like I actually gave one time. I gave like a big check because the pastor told me you're going to get it back. And I'm like, all right, I'm 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 trusting you on this, you know, and I'm like putting it in. and uh, And, you know, that didn't really come back. Why? <laughs> because I was giving to get. I wasn't giving to give. You know, I wasn't. Truly giving of myself, saying, I want to just live simply and I want to I want to embrace a sacrificial kind of lifestyle with everything, including my finances. And trust that God will supply for me. Now, the problem is that, again, we can't give joyfully, so therefore we won't give. I'm going to kind of take it back to that. We're going to wrap up with this thought. I can't, you know. I get that. I can see it, but still, the reality is, is like I, I can't give joyfully. I can't give as a cheerful giver. So what do I do? Look at the last line in verse eleven. I forgot to turn the ringer down this morning. It is a ringer, by the way. If you think when it goes off, if you think that it's the uh, fire alarm, you know, just don't run out. Is all I'm saying. We, that too shall pass. Alright. The last part of verse 11. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Through us, your generosity will result in more people getting it. And people bringing glory to God and your generosity is going to result in God's glory. Now, here's the question that we need to ask: Is this? Is when we can't give cheerfully. So, so maybe we can set, see like the sum that we should be giving, you know. But the problem is we can't do it joyfully. We can't do it cheerfully. And, and I think here's the question: the right question that we need to be asking ourselves is this. It's not. Uh, it's not should I not give because of that. The the, the right question is why is it that i can't give joyfully what is in my heart that's keeping me from giving cheerfully and i think what we're going to discover is that we're not truly getting the gospel we're not truly getting the gospel and so all of this then comes down to a heart and a gospel decision and why i said you might say that's a little harsh why I say that is this. If we truly believe that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. If we really believe that. Then if we really believe that that this God went to the, to a, a cross and he died for us. And through his death, through his sacrificial death, you know, he who is rich, Jesus was rich. Heaven is was, was, that's a nice neighborhood. <laughs> He left it and he became poor for us so that we then may be rich, so that we may be able to have the nice neighborhood, you know, so that we may have, what what it's saying is that we may have a connection with God. So we may be one with God again if we really believe that. And then we really, then we believe that, so so Jesus died for us, and then he rose again and he defeated death. And then, the, you know, read First Corinthians 15, it's going to blow your mind. And, and, and hopefully excite you about the resurrection. We believe the resurrection, that it all hinges on the resurrection. And then we believe we're, that we're, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, like that's the one thing he's told us to do with our lives. The one thing he's told us to do with our lives. You know, like so many people are, are uh, even in myself, I don't say this pointing fingers at any of you, but so often we're thinking like, man, what should I do with my life? You know, what's, what is the purpose of my life? Well, Jesus told us. <laughs> so it's like, go into all the world and make disciples. Now the question, the better question is like, so how do I use what I have, my resources and my talents and my, everything that I have to, to, to make that happen? So, so if we really believe that, we really believe biblically, we, we, we believe that the scriptures are true and that Jesus died for us and loves us and, and has sent us out with this great commission, What, what more natural thing, then, to use all of our resources from our house to our cash to make that glory now? You know, last week we, we talked about this a little bit. Just, just the joy it is when we see somebody come to Christ. We see somebody begin to get it. I mean, there's so much joy there. It's, isn't that so much better than getting a flat screen you know? And I really want a flat screen, by the way. I, I, Jess told me last week, she's like, you know, you can't get a flat screen now. <laughs> I can't. I just, man. We'll talk about it. Well, let's just kind of forget the flat screen comment. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, there's things that we really want. It's like, but where is there more joy? You know? So, so can I then say, man, like, I could joyfully set aside a sum of what I make and live on the rest of it. And I can joyfully set aside a sum and joyfully give that to the work of God in this world. Can we do that? This is what I want to do. And you might, if you have a piece of paper and a a, uh, pen, you might even write this down or just write it down in your mind. What I want us to do is this. I want you to just think for a moment and ask God, what is the sum that I should be setting aside. And the reality is as Paul said, each chose to set aside a sum on their own. So what is the sum to set aside? And I want you to do this and I, I again I'm not if you don't if you're not feeling led to do this, don't do this. All right? Because they gave willingly, they gave out of their out of their heart, you know. Just write down the number. What is the sum? and then begin to operate with that. You know, I mean, is is there anybody here who, like me, at one time, you're so spiritual that you realize that we're freed from the law, and so now you can give the .05% you've always been wanting. You're, that's spiritual that you've realized this. Wow. And now I don't have to give. Thank God for it. Did you know that on average, like, so... The Jews before Christ were giving 10 percent. Christians, on average, give 2.67 percent of their income away. So compared to the 10 percent before Christ, on average today, Christians—and it's been like this since the 1960s—Christians give, on average, two and a half percent of their income away for the work of God. You know, because we're so spiritual, we get it now. Because we're living in grace, we're living in freedom is 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 there anyone here who's simply simply needs to repent because you've been allowing money to create the joy in your life you've been you've been allowing yourself to believe that that money is where it's at and you're realizing that that there's so there's there's such a greater joy out there in Christ and in giving all of our resources and everything that we have, everything we can possibly give to the furtherance of the gospel and to, to the glory of God. And we just need to stop and take a moment of repentance and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for, for worshiping and loving money. And I want to worship and love you. I want to come to you. Or uh, is, is has, has anyone recognized that... Um, that you just simply have not been guided uh, by this desire to make Christ known. It's just that simple. Like you're really not driven by Christ. You're not driven by by bringing glory to Him and displaying His glory and making Him known in every aspect, in every way, in every part of your life. And you're ready to just, to just commit. You're like, I, I, I believe the gospel and I'm, just, I'm going to begin living the gospel kind of life. And you're ready to make that kind of commitment to Jesus. We're going to take a couple uh, moments here. and John's going to come and we're going to sing together. And we're going to take communion together. And, and uh, um, so just kind of think about these things. And, and the biggest thing I want you to think, of, even more than the sum, that's a practical out, out, outworking of your faith, but what we need to get at is is, is the reason why we we don't want to live <clears throat> that way, why we can't live that way, and that's the, that's the gospel issue. It's a hard issue. It's do we really believe in, in in Jesus Christ? So just kind of meditate on that, think about that, look inward as we sing together.